Tonight we are going to finish our study in uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. I hope it's been good for you so far. Um, the last message, then we're going to do something new uh, next week. But tonight we'll be in Philippians 4, verses 14 to 23. And let me read it for us, and then we'll pray. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. God, as we uh, open your word now, uh, Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding and uh, you would remind us that when scripture speaks, you speak and you speak with authority and you speak with wisdom into our lives um, that we might know joy. And as we um, talk particularly about our topic tonight, generosity, uh, God, we, we do pray that you would show us that as your grace, as a means of joy in our lives. And so do a work on our hearts through your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you, if you were to ask your friends or your family or your classmates um, to describe you, what would they say about you? Would they say that you are hardworking? Would they say that you're chill, you're easygoing? Uh, what did they describe you as intense? Um, there are some people who I know who are, who are really proud to be known as really frugal, okay? And like, they like die to be known as frugal. They're really proud of that. And maybe you know someone like that. Maybe that's you. Like you just, you are so proud that you were very frugal. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's, it's, it's a good thing to, to spend your money wisely. Uh, but again, like some people wear this like as a badge of honor. And uh, it's not like the, I found a good deal kind of frugal. It's like, I'm a college student, kind of frugal, and like, you're like, oh, I didn't spend any money on lunch today because I just ate someone's leftovers, right? Or I don't like, I wear the same thing because I don't have new, I don't want to buy new clothes, um, that kind of frugal. And so some of you maybe like you're proud to be frugal. Um, let me ask you, if you were to ask your friends to describe you, would any of them describe you as generous? Would they describe you as a generous person? And if not then why not? Right? Why would they not describe you as generous? In scripture, uh, we see different churches that are remembered for different things. Uh, for example, the church in Rome, they're remembered for their faith, how they had faith in the gospel, even though they never like, 
really had Paul come to visit their church. Um, the Corinthian church is known for scandal, right? There's like all kinds of crazy things going on in the church in Corinth, and so they're known for all the problems in their church. Um, you think of like the seven churches in Revelation, they're all kind of known for certain things, right? Like the church in Ephesus uh, was known for having lost their first love. Well, the Philippian church was remembered for their generosity. They were a generous church. Um, and I think tonight as we look through this passage, we have a lot to learn from their example. Let me just remind us of the context of uh, the letter of, to Philippians. This letter is Paul's thank you note to the church in Philippi. And he's writing a thank you note to them because they sent him a gift uh, via this guy named Epaphroditus. And this gift was there to support Paul while he's in prison, and it was to support him in his ministry. And uh, he talks about that in, in verse 18 of our passage. And so upon receiving this gift from Epaphroditus and probably this update about how things were, uh, how things were going in the life of the church, Paul writes this letter, Philippians, to thank them for their gift and also to encourage them based on some of the things that Epaphroditus shared with him. Okay, and so hopefully you remember uh, some of the things that Paul has encouraged this church with um, because this is what we've been going through this whole year. Um, he, like, exhorts them towards gospel unity. He tells them in chapter 1, verse 27, uh, this could be the theme verse of Philippians. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Right? He says, be united, live a, live a life worthy of the manner of the gospel. And this unity, as we read in Philippians, comes about as they're humble with each other, right? as they learn to put others as more significant than themselves, um, and as they learn to work out their conflict. Right? We saw that with um, two particular ladies in the church, Euodia and Syntyche. Well, as we wrap up this letter, our passage tonight in chapter 4, uh, actually starting back in verse 10, this is where Paul actually mentions that gift that they gave him. And this is where he actually, like, thanks them for it. Now, if you remember back to our first message um, in Paul's greeting, verses, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, Paul starts Philippians with this, like, super affectionate thanksgiving and prayer for the Philippians. Right? He's, like, super dear friends with them. He's really thankful for God's work in them and through them. And I think, like, that's kind of the same feel that we have in our passage tonight. That Paul is, uh, in some sense, pouring his heart out on the page just in appreciation of these dear friends of his. And specifically in our passage, Paul is going to talk about the Philippians' friendship to him expressed in their generosity with him. Right? Their friendship expressed in their gener generosity toward him. And from the Philippians' example, from Paul's encouragement that we see in our passage, I think it teaches us about genuine and joyful gospel generosity. Okay, genuine and joyful gospel generosity. Okay, now, if you actually read through this, um, we're going to be in 13, uh, 14 to 23, but if you read through 10, verses 10 to 20, you might read through this and you might be a little confused because it seems like what Paul says, like it's, it seems like he's not even really thankful for their gift. Right? If you actually read through it, it's, it's actually kind of strange and in a really roundabout way that he says thank you. Look in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Uh, not, that I speak, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So basically, Paul says, hey, Philippians, thanks for the gift. Uh, thanks for thinking of me, but I didn't need it. 
Right? Like, I didn't need your gift because uh, I've learned to be content in Christ. Like, can you imagine saying that to your mom and dad? Like, they bring you food, right, in your apartment because you're starving, and you're like, hey, like, mom and dad, thanks for dropping off food for me, but I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, right? Like, I've, I've learned contentment in Christ. And then in verse 14, if you keep reading, it's like Paul recognizes what he just said, right? And he, uh, he recognizes how his words might have come across, and so he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, Okay, so he kind of like corrects himself, but then you get to verse 17 and he says, not that I seek the gift, right? Not that I'm like looking for your gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In other words, I don't seek your gift and your act of giving actually benefits you more than it benefits me. So you're welcome. Like that's, that's kind of what he's saying. Okay, just a life tip for you guys. Um, this is apart from the sermon. Sometimes less is more, okay? Uh, like, say what you need to say, and then keep the rest in your head. Uh, guys, girls, if, if someone asks you out, and you have to turn them down, right? Say what you need to say, and then keep the rest in your head, okay? You don't, you don't have to explain to them why you're turning them down. That's free for you guys. And it almost seems like Paul needed to heed that advice here, right? Like, like it seems like we need to tell Paul, hey, just, like, say thank you, and just move on, right? Like just say thank you. You don't have to give all these qualifications. Um, but why does he do this? Well, a couple of reasons, just as we start out, so we kind of understand where we are. First, the Philippians' gift to Paul was most likely this monetary gift. If you read through verses 17 and 18, uh, Paul uses a bunch of different financial terms, okay? And uh, if you read through some of other, uh, uh, Paul's other letters, he was, you know that when, he, when it came to money, he was always very careful. He was always very mindful and very cautious when it came to talking about money. And the reason for that was back in that day, and I think we can even relate to this now, uh, there would be people who would scam others out of money in exchange for like counsel or prophecy or like advice or whatever. Um, and so Paul was very careful and very intentional to separate himself from that kind of like shady stuff, right? Like he didn't want to be confused with that. Uh, if you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about this. He says that he was willing to work. He was a tent maker, like literally. And he was, he was willing to work in order to earn a living, even though, he says, he had the right as a minister of the gospel to make his living by preaching the gospel. Right? Like that's how careful he was with, when it came to money. Like he wanted to be above reproach. Um, and so that's the first reason. Like money is just awkward to talk about. Uh, and so Paul has all these disclaimers, clarifications. He wants to thank them for their gift, but he also wants to clarify that his ministry, his joy isn't motivated by that. It's not motivated by their financial support. Uh, like, he, he truly was perfectly content in Christ. He truly was motivated simply by the gospel and everything that he was doing and everything he was enduring. And so their money wasn't this, like, side motivation. He doesn't want them to get the wrong idea. Okay, so that kind of explains part of it. But, but second, and I think more significant, uh, I think Paul's treatment here of generosity, of their gift towards him, it kind of forces us to reset and recalibrate our own understanding of money and generosity. Like, this isn't how we would talk about it. And I think, like, Paul shows us, no, this kind of should be how we talk about it. I think sometimes we can have a very narrow view of generosity, Right? Like, it's this morally good thing to do. Um, it takes place between this beneficiary and benefactor. It's usually monetary. It's usually the sacrifice that someone makes. 
Um, and all of those things are true, okay? But it's like Paul, in this passage, helps to fill out our theology of giving. He wants to fill out our theology of generosity more here. Um, I know I kind of joked about it earlier, but Paul does say that the Philippians' generosity actually benefits them more than it benefits him. Like, he actually says that. He says it increases to their credit. And so I think that's another reason why he talks this way. He wants to kind of help us to understand, like, what generosity is in the context of the gospel and, and scripture. And so in our passage, I want to look at four reasons, okay, four reasons why we should be generous And I hope that these four truths would each be uh, fuel to drive you towards greater gospel generosity. Okay, and this isn't comprehensive. Uh, The Bible talks a lot about money, and so we're not going to cover every part of it. Um, But but hopefully, like one of these truths or a couple of these truths can be something that you take and you meditate on and reflect on this week, um, and hopefully it'll help you to grow in, in generosity. So the first reason is this. We should be generous to bear the burdens of gospel partners. We should be generous to bear the burdens of gospel partners. Uh, Look at verse 14. Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Okay, so throughout our study in Philippians, we've already talked about this idea of fellowship. And that word for fellowship is koinonia, right? Koinonia. And uh, we've talked about it several times throughout our book. We've, We've said how fellowship or this true biblical koinonia isn't just like a couple of Christians hanging out together, right? Like playing board games or uh, like whatever Christians do together. Uh, It refers to sharing together in something, like business partners. It's talking about like you are making an investment together. Okay, D.A. Carson, he defines it like this. He says, the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision of that which is of transcendent importance. And as we've seen throughout Philippians, like this is what describes what Paul and the Philippians had with each other. Right? It's this self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision, which is the gospel. Well, if you look in verse 14, Paul says, he says, it was kind or it was good of you to share my trouble. That word share there is a form of that word koinonia, fellowship. And whereas Paul's enemies, he says, they were, if you think back to chapter 1, verse 17, right? Paul says he was in prison, and there was people outside of prison who were trying to afflict him, right? Who were trying to stir up trouble by preaching and causing him to be jealous and stuff like that. He says, whereas these enemies outside of prison were trying to afflict him, trying to trouble him, the Philippians here, they gladly shared in Paul's troubles. And Paul says that what they did, it was kind or it was good of them. It was good of them. It was a good thing that they did. Gospel generosity is good. Okay, and that, like, that's obvious enough, right? Like, you might be like, well, duh, like, it's not bad, right? It's, it's a good thing. But let me ask you, as you kind of think through, like, your mental checklist before you decide whether or not to give, whether or not to be generous, what's on that checklist? Is it, oh, do I have, like, a comfortably adequate amount for myself of whatever I want to give? Does this person really need what I'm going to consider giving to them? Uh, do I have other pressing needs of my own 
that I need to take care of before I, I choose to give? When's the last time that I was generous with this person? Was it like recently so I, don't, I shouldn't give to them again? Do you ever evaluate an opportunity to be generous based on the fact that Scripture says that it is a good thing to do? And it's a very simple idea. Do you ever evaluate this opportunity, opportunity to be generous based on the fact that Scripture says it's good? It's good. It's kind of you to do. Uh, after we finish Philippians tonight, we'll be starting this short topical series on work and vocation. Um, and hopefully it'll be helpful for some of you as you prepare to graduate. Um, and one of the things that Scripture teaches us about work as Christians from Ephesians 4.28 is that what the gospel does when it changes someone's life is it, it transforms the thief, right, from, from not only no longer stealing to doing honest work, right? So a thief stops stealing, he does honest work. But even more than that, it transforms that thief from working in order that he might have something to share with anyone in need, right? Like, that's what the gospel does to someone. No more stealing, not just working honestly, but working so that you might give to other people. See, that gospel generosity needs to be more of this default setting for us if we are believers. If we've been changed by the gospel, then this should just be like the way that we think. It needs to be our default setting. It's one of the marks of the new life of a believer. It's not just something that is pragmatic or utilitarian. We were created to give. The gospel saves us so that we might give. And as we'll see later, when we give, we reflect the character of God. That's why it's a good thing to do. That's why it's good that we give. Um, in verse 15, Paul says that the Philippine believers, they entered into partnership with him even from day one, right? So there's that idea there of koinonia again, partnership. Um, and, and they entered into that with him from day one. And they, Paul says they were the only church to do so. Okay, let me just give you guys the background of uh, the Philippians. So Paul visited Philippi in AD 49 to 50. He founded the church there. Okay, and then shortly afterwards, um, oh yeah, so he founded the church there shortly afterwards after his visit. And you can read all about the origins in Acts chapter 16. Uh, the church at Philippi started with this lady named Lydia. It started with one of the jailers who like, witnessed Paul and Silas escape from prison. Um, and it started with this like, demon-possessed girl. Okay, a really like, random crew of people. And so Paul writes Philippians probably about 10 years after the church has been founded. And he says, all throughout that time, these believers there have been faithful gospel partners. Like they've been generous to him. They've been joyfully sacrificial. They've been eager to help at the next opportunity. And so what Paul does after leaving Philippi is he goes south, and he goes to uh, do ministry in Thessalonica. And right away, right, like that's the, Paul's next stop, and he says, hey, you guys sent help to meet my needs there. Like my next stop instantly, right away, you guys sent me help. Um, Paul go, that's, his, that's Paul's second missionary journey. He goes on a third missionary journey. On that journey, he goes around to different Gentile churches, and he, he's collecting this love offering to give to the church in Jerusalem, right, as to kind of support their needs. And Paul actually wasn't going to ask the Philippians to do so. Um, he didn't want to burden them. They were in poverty and stuff like that. Uh, but if you read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, what we learn is that these Philippians, or he calls them Macedonian churches, they, like, beg him to take part in that relief. Just, like, think about that for a second. Usually people beg for money, right? These Philippians, they're begging to give their money. 
And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verses 1 to 5. Paul says that the Philippians' abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on, that, on their part. Right, just think about that equation for a second. Abundance of joy plus extreme poverty equals wealth of generosity. Right, that's what the Philippians did. Well, you get to Philippians 4, chapter 10, and we learn that uh, after all of this giving, there's this break that takes place, right? Like, somehow the Philippians lose track of Paul. Maybe they were just in their poverty. They couldn't afford to give anymore. Or maybe it was because Paul was in prison, and so they lost track of him. But in, in 4, verse 10, Paul says that as soon as there was another opportunity, as soon as they, like, found where Paul was again, they just, they were eager to give again. Like, they, they picked up right where they left off. And so with all of that background info in mind, do you get the picture of like what this relationship looked like? The Philippians' gift to Paul, which is the occasion for uh, the letter of Philippians, wasn't just this one-time thing. This was just one instance. This was just one snapshot of this like lifelong partnership between Paul and this church. It was just one way that they were glad to share in his troubles and to help Paul bear his burdens. And when did that start? Look at verse 15. He says, it started in the beginning of the gospel. In the beginning of the gospel. The starting point for the Philippians' generosity was when the gospel took root in their hearts. That's it. Right? They got saved, and then they became generous people. It wasn't when they were financially stable. It wasn't when they became financially independent or they got a full-time job or whatever. We already saw that back in 2 Corinthians 9, right? They gave out of their poverty and their abundance of joy. These Philippians had been faithfully generous gospel partners with Paul from the first day until now. And their generosity took place in the bigger context of their partnership with Paul, one which they were so committed to for the sake of the gospel, even at cost to themselves. And so let me ask you, is that true of your friendships? Right? Like when you think of your friends, is that like, could you describe, is that a picture of what your friendships look like? Are you committed to your friends or are you consumeristic? Like, are you willing to walk with others, to partner with others through thick and thin, even if that sometimes means that you are giving and you are sharing your resources with them? Now, let's, let's not forget the other side of this, okay? The, the Philippians, they served Paul with their money, with their gift and support, but Paul also served the Philippians faithfully through his ministry to them. Right? Like he, he preached the gospel to them, and it's, it's mutual. It's like this two-way street, and that's how biblical community should be. It doesn't just revolve around your own needs. It's this mutual sharing that is taking place. If you look at how Paul describes it, he says it's a giving and a receiving. And so here's a question to ask yourself in, those, in your gospel friendships. Uh, in, in, your, in your friendships, in your partnerships, do you actively and continually look for opportunities to be generous? Do you actively and continually look for opportunities to be generous? I think, unfortunately, uh, our generosity can be like this pacifier sometimes, right? Like we give um, because we, like, we don't want to be bothered anymore. Whether that's like we don't want to get another email, we don't want like another them to ask us again, we just want to quiet our conscience. 
But like, that's not what the Philippians did. They didn't just send money to make Paul's problem go away. They were eager and they were joyful to bear Paul's burdens through their generosity. That was just a way that they could bear his burdens. I think practically speaking, one way that we can get better at this is by planning ahead to be generous. Okay, just very practical way. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, but one of the ways that Pastor Kim shared with uh, Bree and I during our premarital was that uh, he and his family, one, one of the ways that they try to be generous is that they just automatically budget and designate a certain amount of money as ministry money. Okay, like it just goes there automatically. That's all that it's for. And what this does, he says, is it creates space for him and his family to be generous. Like they don't have to try to figure out, oh, how much do we have left at the end of the month uh, that we can give away? It's not a matter of whether they can give or not because it's already there. And so the question they get to ask themselves is, like, who do we get to bless this month? Um, and he says, like, that's, that's actually been a, a exciting for them, a joy for their family to do. And so can, can you do that? Can you plan ahead to be generous and so, uh, and so bear one another's burdens? Okay, second reason is this. We should be generous as an act of worship and the outworking of the gospel. We should be generous as an act of worship and the outworking of the gospel in our lives. Verse 17. He says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So if our first point was focused on this like horizontal dimension of generosity, then this second point is about the vertical dimension. And like we said earlier, uh, Paul chooses his words in a way to make sure that the Philippians don't think that he's asking them for more money, okay? Instead, he says back in verses 10 to 13, he says, I'm perfectly, perfectly content in Christ, right? I've been paid in full. And, he, and here he says that the thing that he's actually happiest about, the thing that he's most concerned about, the Philippians' gift, isn't how it benefits him personally, but what it says about their faith and their worship. He says, seriously, I appreciate your gift, but the chief value of your generosity is not the help that it gives me, but what it means for the work that God is doing in you guys. If you look at verse 17, he says, uh, he says I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Um, this is kind of the same idea that he was praying for back in chapter 1, verse 11. And he said, I hope that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Right? That same idea there. It's the picture of, uh, imagine like a bank account, and it's receiving compounding interest. That your generosity is this investment that is continuously increasing to your own benefit, to your own spiritual advantage. Uh, Randy Alcorn, he calls this the treasure principle. Right? He says that, when you die, you can't take anything with you. Right? You can't take anything, but you can send it on ahead. If we, he says, if we give instead of keep, if we invest in the eternal instead of the temporal, we store up treasures in heaven that will never stop paying dividends. Whatever we store up on earth will be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasures we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we arrive. When we commit to this kind of generosity, there is greater joy both, both now and then. And this was Paul's hope and confidence for the Philippians. If you think back to Philippians uh, 1, 6, Paul says, I am sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And what he says here is that, Philippians, your generosity is evidence of that. It's evidence that God is completing that good work that he promises to bring to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That is the thing that is worth celebrating the most. Um, I, I think one of the things I'm, I'm appreciative of Lighthouse is that uh, we are at a church where I think our elders have the same heart as Paul's heart. Um, as you know, we are looking for a new building, right? Um, I don't know if you know that, but we're looking for a new building. Um, but I'm thankful that, like, even throughout this whole process, that, that they've constantly reminded us as the church that this season right now is about us learning more to be faithful stewards with what we have. Right? It's us learning to trust God more in this season of waiting. It's learning to rely on him to fully provide us with what we need. And I love that like, they've, they've shepherded us in that way because they care more about our faith, they care more about our worship and our Christ-likeness than about whether or not we get what we're hoping for. And I think that's what Paul is, is saying for these Philippians. Like, I care about your, uh, your heart before God more than I care about your gift to me. If you look at the end of verse 18, um, Paul shifts from using like, these business terms to describe his partnership with the Philippians to using Old Testament language. And he, he describes their giving as an act of worship to God. He says that it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Okay, so he says, Philippians, the ultimate recipient of your service isn't me, it's God. And what you offer to him is this like acceptable and fragrant and pleasing sacrifice to him. I know you guys know this already, um, but when we choose to give, when we are generous, when we do offering every Sunday, that is an act of worship to God. And whenever we talk about worship, we have to talk about our hearts. And I think what's, what Scripture is clear that, that empty actions divorced from our hearts is not only worthless to God, it's actually offensive to God. I mean, just think about it specifically when it comes to our giving and our generosity. God is not most concerned with our act of giving. Why? Because he doesn't even need our stuff, right? Like, God is rich. He doesn't need what we have to give him. But he's most concerned with the heart behind it. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 9-7, he says that we are to give not reluctantly, not under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. And that, that has to do with our hearts. Are we cheerful in the way that we give? And what that means is that whatever and how much we choose to give or spend or keep is this window into what we're really worshiping on, worshiping on the inside. Right? We choose to keep and give and spend because we believe that something or someone is more worthy of our money, of our giving, our generosity, our resources. And so as you think about your own generosity or, or maybe even the lack of it, can you trace that back to what you're worshiping? Right? Whether that is like comfort or success or future or security or your own reputation. When it comes down to it, whose kingdom are you most concerned about? Now, if you're sitting here and you know that greed or you know that materialism is an issue for you, then can I encourage you to practice giving so that you might grow in generosity? Practice giving so that you might grow in generosity. Like, think of giving as a way of fueling your worship, right? Like, Pastor Kim loves to say that. Fuel your faith. Fuel your worship. Like, see giving in that way. 
that when you choose to give, it's one way that you free yourself of your idols and your selfishness. Okay, so Paul is, is pointing, pointing us back to our hearts because giving is about worship. Well, whenever we talk about worship, we also have to talk about a person. And that leads us to our next point. Number three, you should be generous because of the God who supplies. You should be generous because of the God who supplies. Um, Paul gives us this amazing promise in verse 19. Look what he says. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul says, We can be generous with what we have because God promises to supply everything that we need. Okay, God promises to supply everything that we need. In other words, you cannot outgive God. You cannot give beyond God's ability to provide you with what you need. Now, what does Paul mean there by every need of yours? Right? Like, aren't there generous believers who are still poor, who are still hungry? Um, like, what about Paul himself? Right? Didn't he need to get out of prison? How do we think about that? I think scripture constantly reminds us, and Jesus does this, for example, in Matthew 6, reminds us that what we truly need is like so much bigger than just our physical necessities. That our needs are so much wider than that. And yet, God promises that uh, in light of all of those needs, that he promises to supply everything that we need. So for example, in the midst of your poverty, God will richly supply your material needs. That in the midst of your present suffering, your opposition, God will richly supply you with perseverance and joy and encouragement. In your need for unity and reconciliation with one another, God will richly supply the grace and the humility that is required. In your anxiety, God will richly supply his presence and his surpassing peace. In your discontentment, your worry, God will supply you with a peace that surpasses all understanding and contentment in Christ. And how will he do it? Paul says, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. There's a story um, that is told about Alexander the Great. And one day he was heading home from this battle and his caravan came by this beggar who was on the road, uh, by the roadside. And this beggar asked the soldiers, he said, hey, can, I, can you give me a copper coin? Can you spare me a copper coin? And as one of the soldiers was about to turn this beggar away, Alexander saw this happening and he intervened. He said, hey, like, what do you want? Or what does he want? Well, he wants a copper coin. And so Alexander looked at the beggar. He went to his, his carriage. He returned with this bag of gold coins. And seeing all of this happen, the soldier was surprised. And he said, sir, a copper coin would have adequately met this beggar's needs. Right? Well, that's all that he asked for. Like, why are you giving him this bag of gold coins? And Alexander responded, a copper coin would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. A copper coin would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. And I think that's what the idea here is in, or that, that's the idea here in this verse. That God does, doesn't just give out of his riches, he gives according to his riches, right? According to his character. And if you know that this is the God who is behind you, and how, then can you be generous with other people, right? Can you be generous if you know that you have this rich God behind you? I want you to notice also what Paul does 
um, with the pronouns there in verses 19 and 20. He says, uh, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, why does he do that? Like, why does he switch between all those pronouns? Well, earlier I said that in our understanding of partnership, right, koinonia, between Paul and Philippians, there's this idea of uh, mutual reciprocity, right? Like, this, it's two ways. They're, they're both giving to one another, giving and receiving. And here, Paul is playing off of that idea, okay? He says, you Philippians have been so generous with me in your support of my ministry in the gospel, but this is what I have to contribute. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Like, that's what I have to offer to you guys. That's what you get in return. And so, you, like, you look at this exchange, and it's like, who's better off, right? Like, Paul gets the Philippians' money, but Paul's like, well, I can give you my God who can supply you everything that you need. Like, who gets the better end of the deal? And that's what uh, Paul is trying to show us. Right? Like, generosity... We are truly blessed. Like we truly get the better end of the deal when we are generous with others because we get to know the God who supplies all that we ever need. I think one way that we can experience and know the God who supplies is by giving to the point where we are put in a position to trust him and not ourselves. All right, one way we can experience and know the God who promises to supply every need of ours is by giving to the point where we are actually put in the position to trust him and not ourselves. And I feel like that's true of a lot of the Christian life, actually. We, like, we know God as who he says he is by being obedient, by simply just doing what he tells us to do. Uh, I was thinking about what this meant for my own life this past week. Um, many of you know my wife, Bree. Right? And uh, she's better looking than me. She's smarter than me. And uh, I'm a pastor and she's a dentist. Okay, so let's just say I married up in more ways than one. <laughs> uh, right now she's in the middle of this residency program. Okay, and because she's going to specialize in something. And so, uh, and so far it's like, it's pretty brutal. Okay, it's a hard program. It's uh, like we've asked many times, like, is, is this even worth it? Like, should we finish this or, or not? And so um, I'll try to like encourage her and try to be a good husband. Um, and, and one of the ways that I will try to encourage her sometimes, one of the things I'll say to her is, like, doing this will allow us to be more generous in the future. Okay, doing this will allow us to be more generous in the future. Um, and I, like, I genuinely mean that, okay? I'm not just, like, saying that. Like, I, I really do look forward to that where, like, we, we can be more generous, right? Like, making more money, God willing, will afford us more opportunities to be generous, and I'm excited about that. But as I was reflecting on this passage this week, I realized that, like, somewhere lost in all of that was this thinking that this future job would put us in this position where, like, we could just be generous without having to worry about anything. Like, and I, I had to, like, check myself on that a little bit. Right? Am I, like, what am I placing my trust in? Am I trusting in this future for us, or am I trusting in the God who's promised to supply every need of mine according to his riches in Christ? And I'm not saying that it's like wrong to have more than enough, okay? I'm not saying that you have to give until it hurts. Some people say that. Um, but we come to know God's promise to supply us with all that we need when we put ourselves in a position where we actually like need him, right? Where we actually need to trust him. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. 
He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Do you like catch that common theme there? God will provide you with all that you need so that you can be generous in every single way. Right? We should be generous because God promises to supply every need of yours according to his riches. And where are those riches found? He says, they are found in Christ Jesus. They're found in Christ Jesus. And I think an encouragement that we can take from this is that God doesn't ask us to be generous without first demonstrating that to us himself. We already learned this back in Philippians 2. That, Paul, that Christ was willing to consider the needs of others as more important than his own. He didn't grasp on to his own privileges, to his own riches, to his own status and advantages. He freely gave them up, and he even submitted himself to death on a cross. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Right? We can be generous because of the God who supplies. Last reason is this. We should be generous because it can bear gospel fruit. We should be generous because it can bear gospel fruit. This is a shorter point. Verse 21. Paul says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, so verses 21 to 23, they are just a typical closing in Paul's epistles. He greets those in the church. He gives a benediction. But there's just one detail I want to point out in these verses um, for this last point, and I think it's a really cool detail. Okay, verse 22, Paul says, all the, saints greet, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Okay, if you think back to Philippians 1, verses 12 and 14, Paul says that, one of the, I guess, the benefits, the encouragements from his imprisonment is that the whole imperial guard, right, the whole Roman uh, guard has come to know that his imprisonment is for Christ. That the gospel was able to reach places and people that it wouldn't have been able to reach otherwise. And Paul says here, or it seems to say in verse 22, that some in the Roman government were even saved as a result. Like people are getting saved. And I think when we hear that, uh, especially in chapter one, we think like, wow, like Paul, what a gangster, right? Like he was evangelizing when he was like chained to someone. Like, man, what a guy. But I think if we got a chance to talk to him, I don't think he would point to himself as the catalyst. Or he wouldn't say, oh, like, look at what I've done. Right? Look, at, look at my evangelistic efforts. I think he might point to the Philippian believers and I think he might say that their encouragement and their support and their generosity allowed me to minister faithfully and enabled the gospel to advance. Like, I think he would say that the Philippians' generosity is what allowed, uh, indirectly or directly, like, these people to get saved. Right? And like, that's the whole idea of koinonia, partnership. You're, you're working together for the sake of the gospel. And so perhaps one way that we can grow to become more generous 
is by remembering that God can use our quiet and our unknown generosity to make this eternal impact for God's kingdom to bear gospel fruit. Like, do you ever think about that when you're thinking about whether you want to be generous or not? Um, I know summer is the season for short-term missions, right? And uh, short-term missions means uh, mission support letters, right? Some of you guys already sent that to me. Um, but as you are getting those support letters and you're thinking whether you want to give or not, like, do you have that goal in mind or that end in mind? Like, this might lead to some people getting saved. You know, or are you just thinking about oh, how much do you need to support? Like, how much do I need to give? Um, or are you thinking about, like, your friendship with this person? Or you think about gospel fruit, right? Eternal gospel fruit that your generosity might quietly and indirectly uh, allow the gospel to advance. That's the fourth reason. Let me kind of wrap up here. I, I do want to encourage you guys, uh, specifically as, as college students, because I know that generosity does look a little different for you in this season of your life, as opposed to maybe later on when you have your own job and income and, and stuff like that. Um, many, of you guys, many of you guys actually have, like, zero money. Um, some of you guys have, like, negative money because you have student loans. Um, although, I will say, you guys eat out a lot. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> I know we've been talking primarily about, like, monetary generosity, right? Like, since that's what was in our text. But I want us to realize uh, generosity is an attitude of the heart. Okay, generosity is an attitude of the heart. If, if it were only about money, then many of us would be excused from exercising generosity. Like, we wouldn't have to be generous because we don't have money. Like, God has called us all to be generous. And so let me just give you four quick encouragements, four, like, as practical um, applications to think about your resources. Number one, uh, you have time, right? Invest your time. You may be short on money, but you have an abundance of time, whether you believe it or not. And so how will you invest your time? Will you listen well to someone who's hurting? Will you commit to being at church or small group each week? Will you take time to interact with unbelievers? Will you put aside your own studying, your own homework to love someone else well? Second, leverage your work. Um, like I said, many of you don't have a full-time job right now, uh, but God willing, you will have one in the future. That what you do have right now are certain skills and gifts and abilities that God has given to you so that you might uniquely serve him and bless others. And so, like, leverage that. Be generous with that. Be generous in training others and, and raising them up. Like, don't hold back on, like, how much you teach someone else out of fear that they might surpass you and, like, make you look bad or whatever. Like, be generous in raising other people up. Third, extend your service. Practice generosity by serving others selflessly and sacrificially. Outdo one another in serving others. Do the dishes, even if you didn't use them. Like serve other people, even if you don't have to. And then number four, share your stuff. Share your food, your home, your car. Remember that we are stewards. We're just managers of the stuff that God has given to us. Let me close with this last idea. Gospel generosity is a grace. Okay, it is a grace that God has given to us. Um, I was talking with Pastor Tim at retreat. If you don't, if you don't know, um, Tim is a piano teacher on the side. Okay, and like growing up, uh, piano used to be this like super big thing for him. Okay, and when I say like super big, it's like it was his life pretty much. Like he he played in co piano competitions. Uh, he had piano rivals. Like I didn't know that was a thing, but he like he had some. 
Um, he, he actually used it as an illustration in his sermon, I think, like not that long ago. And I think like maybe one other person in this entire church could relate to him. He had piano rivals, and he was telling me, we were having this conversation about piano, and he was telling me about like, how one of the things that really surprised him as he got to know some of the people here at Lighthouse was, not that we're Asian, but that, that there are so many people that used to play piano for years growing up, right? And they did like CM, um, and the, like, they, their childhood was piano. How many of you guys did that? Like growing up, you played piano for years and years. Okay, yeah, he's like, there are so many people who used to do that. And he's like, it just blows his mind that they don't play piano anymore. And they're like not doing anything with it because apparently in the South, like you can go to, you can get a scholarship for playing piano. Um, and like it just blows his mind that that's a thing. Um, and I never, like I never did CM, but I, I used to play piano for a few years and then I quit. Like, cause probably for the same reason that some of you guys quit. Like I didn't like to practice. I thought it was a chore. Um, and now looking back, I wish that I kept playing. All right, here's how this relates. My parents um, wanted to give me this gift. All right, they wanted to give me this gift, but I saw it as a burden. And I didn't want to spend time practicing every day because I saw it as this chore, as this, like, why do I have to do this? This is so dumb. And even though it took work and learning and taking some time to appreciate, like, I realized now that was a gift that they were trying to give me one that would bless myself, that I would find joy in if I still played, and one that could even be used to bless others. And I think that's the same way when it comes to generosity. Right? Like God is giving it to us as this gift, as this grace to us that, that is meant to give us joy in what we do. I think sometimes we treat it as a burden. Right? And so we don't give. I think we miss out. Let me close with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is Paul's encouragement um, to, to the church there, to Titus, he says, accordingly, so context for us real quick. Um, so he's talking about, uh, kind of, I, I mentioned it earlier, this love offering that they were taking for the, the church in Jerusalem. He's, he says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. This act of grace, this collection of the offering is an act of grace. And then he says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, earnestness and in our love for you, right, just as you're growing in all of these things in the Christian life, he says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Right, generosity is this gift that God has meant to give us as a way of experiencing his grace. He says, may you excel in this act of grace also. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can talk about generosity because you have first been generous to us. You have not withheld um, from us. And you've given to us uh, that which was most valuable to you, your son, Jesus Christ. And uh, in him, we have every spiritual blessing. We have more than we need, more than we deserve. And so, Father, I pray that uh, you would teach us in light of that to be generous. That you would uh, give us wisdom, clarity, thoughtfulness, and what that looks like specifically in each of our lives in this season. Um, but God, that our hearts would be so filled that they cannot help but overflow um, and bearing others' burdens and, and generosity is an act of worship to you. And so show us, Lord, uh, that you truly are the God who supplies every need of ours according to your riches in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you and we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.